You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. Well, Rick, we'll skip the uh, perfunctory uh, stuff about who you are and all of this, but uh, you're a, a global entity now. Uh, now, whether you chose that life or not, it's <laughs> upon you. Um, do you still have a passion to preach? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the preaching is the most powerful tool to change history because one sermon by one man can actually change history. When you think of William Carey's sermon, ask great things from God, I mean, expect great, ask great things from God, you know, ask and expect great things from God, uh, attempt great things for God. That one single message basically started the modern missionary movement. When you think of uh, 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 single messages by Martin Luther King, or even uh, Martin Luther, individual messages, you could go through and pull some of those out. Uh, one, many, many years ago, I read through 20 Centuries of Great Preaching, which is uh, Vant and uh, yeah. Vincent. Yeah, two of our guys from exactly, Southwestern. Yeah, Exactly. And uh, just reading that, one of the things you realize pretty quickly is that God uses all styles of preaching. Okay. Anybody who thinks that God anoints only one style of preaching doesn't know church history because it's, God uses all styles of preaching. So describe your style. Well, my style, I would call it, would be verse with verse exposition. Not verse by verse, but verse with verse exposition. I don't think God cares whether you take 10 verses in a text or 10 verses from different texts as long as you seriously deal with the text once you get there. Now you can't use it as a jumping off thing but there's some things that can only be taught by correlating scripture. There is no single passage in scripture on abortion but you have to take passages from different places to deal with it and one of the principles of hermeneutics that I deeply believe in is that the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. And so when you say this and this and this and this and you show that the whole counsel of God uh, is part of the common theme, then you have a, a great uh, wider variety. Now, I do both. I, I, I do um, topical exposition and I do textual exposition. And I think they're both necessary and they're both needed depending on what you want to do. I once preached through the book of Romans. It took me two and a half years. Okay. On, on the other hand, um, I'm doing a series right now called uh, 40 Days in the Word. And I'm, not, I'm having to use scriptures about the scripture from many, many different places. And so... Would, would you fear, without interrupting, would you sure. fear that extracting, let's say, a, a verse from John and a verse from James, there's so much meaning at the macro level of the book, then the chapter and then the paragraph unit, of course, that extracting a verse from here and here and comparing them, you might miss some of the meaning in that verse that's actually coming to it from its context surrounding yeah. it. Yeah, I, I would, except Jesus didn't worry about it. If you look at how Jesus used the Old Testament, most people today would call Jesus a heretic. 
because he would take verses completely out of, quote, their context, and actually sometimes would even just take a phrase or even a word. And evidently, the way Jesus and the apostles used the Old Testament uh, is, a, is a powerful uh, uh, passage for the fact that uh, it can be done if you understand what you're doing. Um, one of my favorite books on this is uh, by D.A. Carson called Exegetical Fallacies. It's a terrific book that every seminary student ought to read on the ways that we warp the scriptures and, and, uh, and, and change them, stuff like that. Could, could we go through uh, the rest of our time your preaching process? Sure. Where, where do you study? Sure. Um, I study at home. I actually have three maybe four different offices, I find that I have a place for each task helps me focus. So, so once instance, one spot just for sermon preparation. Yeah, though, and that is at home. Yeah. I do all my sermon prep at home. I have an office at the, at the church office that is only for meeting people because I couldn't get any studying done in the church office. It's just too busy. I have another office that we use for strategy. I have a little office backstage behind in the worship center, that's where I write books. It's the only thing I do is write books there and not, nothing else. I don't prepare messages there, but I study at home. Now, what I do is I firmly believe in planning your preaching so that you give people a balance. And as I believe uh, that there are five purposes of the church, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. These, are, these five purposes are modeled in Acts 2, John 17, Jesus prays them, Acts, Philippians 4, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians 4, Paul explains them, but they're best summarized in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Uh, at, at the front of the porta cachet, there's a statement out there which is Saddleback's byline, a great commitment to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission will grow a great church. And we say we get two of the purposes of life and two of the purposes of the church from the Great Commandment. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, which is worship and ministry. Ex worship is expressing love to God. Love your neighbor as yourself is um, ministry. Anytime expressing love to others, that's ministry. And then go make disciples, evangelism. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bring them into the fellowship of this church. It's not just salvation. It's a symbol of incorporation. We're baptized into the body and uh, teach them to do everything I've commanded you, discipleship. Okay, so if those are five purposes, then I'm gonna make sure I have an equal balance of preaching in those five areas uh, as I go through the year. Now, typically when I sit down and, uh, at the end of the year and I start thinking, what am I gonna cover this next year? I will pick a balance of about a dozen different series that I would like to cover that year combination between a biographical series, a Bible book series, a topical series, a, a worship, a fellowship, a discipleship, a ministry evangelism series. And I'm going to look at these, but I never know the order I'm going to do them in. Uh, I have quite a strong filing system. So I have been collecting for messages often for many, many years before I actually preach on it. You mean collecting other information? About yeah, for instance, let me give you an example. I, when we opened the building in 1995, my first series was a series through Psalm 23. I knew when I was in high school that I was going to 
someday preach on Psalm 23. I started early. I started preaching when I was 16. I had done over 100 revivals before I was 20. So I, I literally started in full-time evangelism for three years. Even while I was in college, I was doing evangelism. And uh, so I, my, uh, I started that way. And so I thought, I'll, I'll preach on Psalm 23. Well, I started Psalm 23 file. When I'd hear a good sermon, I'd toss it in there. When I'd get a good illustration, I'd toss it in there. When I had a quiet time on Psalm 23, I'd toss it in there. So when I actually got ready to preach on Psalm 23, I had been collecting material on that psalm for 17 years. So it wasn't like me going out and going, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to say about this. It was always there's too much stuff. So the, the, the first thing I do is in the preaching plan, I'll lay out where, where I think we're going. For instance, like right now, we're in a six-week series on Scripture. And what we're, we're covering on six weeks, first we did uh, inspiration of Scripture, was week one, authority and inspiration. Foundation of Scripture, which was um, the purpose of the Bible. Then we're going to do um, illumination of Scripture. We're going to do interpretation of Scripture. We're going to do observation of Scripture. We're going to do application of Scripture. Then we go into a four-week series on the tabernacle. And we cover, cover the tabernacle. Then we go into a probably a four-week series called um, Under Construction, which is just going to be on your own personal life. And, and so that's as far as I know right now for this year. I've got all kinds of series that I've been collecting on, but I'll look at that and go, Lord, what do you want me to do next? And it often allows me to turn on a dime. Um, I know some pastors who are so committed to their book study that they won't stop if there's a 9-11 I mean, they're, they're going, you're nuts. Okay, you got to have a word from the Lord when people's minds are on 9-11 and stuff like that. Would you, would you do a hybrid then in your preaching plan between these shorter series and going through a book, or would you save the books for another time besides Sunday morning? Or No, no, Sunday morning's a good time for them. Yeah. And you might, on a longer book, you might have to split it up and do part one and then come back and do part two uh, if you're going to do Jeremiah or something like that, you're going to take a long time. Shorter books, uh, I'll just power through it. I mean, you know, Ecclesiastes, you power through it. James, uh, I, I don't try to go longer. If it's a book study, I try not to go longer than about 12 or 14 weeks. Okay. Do you um, use, a, use a software in your preparation? I do. I use Word Search. Um, I have all of the different ones, but I like Word Search the best because it the, uh, the ability of it to um, do multiple translations so fast. When I could type in, if I type in adoption, it's going to give me that text in every translation, in, every, in 16 translations at once, and I can look at that. And I like to use a lot of translations, obviously, because, you know, there are only about, I think it's 11,500, 11,600 Hebrew and Greek words that are used in the Bible. A typical English translation uses four to 5,000. So there is a, you know, it's like we've got one word for love. Greeks have four. So there's something missing. So I think there's value in looking at other translations. And even paraphrases, I think, can give a full understanding of like, oh, look at that. It just tweaks it a little bit. The other thing it does is when you have a verse that's so familiar that people go, my mind, I've heard that so many times, I'm not even thinking about it. If you just get it a little bit different, it makes people pay attention to the verse. 
You know, it's interesting. The first book I ever wrote, most people don't know this, is a book on hermeneutics. Your Bible study methods. Bible study methods, yeah. exactly. And you wrote that when you were a student here, is that right? At Southwestern? I, no, I was in college. Yeah. I was in college. And, um, and it's still in print, uh, you know, 35 years later. Uh, it's in about 17 languages. But you start with, obviously, uh, uh, I, I don't think it matters really either whether you start with the text and get a topic from it or start with the topic and then find what has God said on it. I think either way is legitimate. As long as you adequately deal with the text once you get there, you can't just use it to springboard from. And, and my biggest gripe with pastors is they read Scripture too fast. They need to slow it way, way down. For instance, let me just pick a Scripture here. Here's a Scripture. Here's how most pastors would read it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, then they slow down to talk about what they want to say about it. What have they just done? They're saying, that's not important. We race through it. This is the word of God, so you need to read it extremely slow. I would read it like this. Not everyone, I'm letting them think about this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, not everyone who says that is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See how much more meaning that comes mm -hmm. simply by slowing it yeah. down. Okay, may I stop here and ask you a question? This is really what I want to ask you uh, sure. today. Of all the things that I think are significant about your preaching, the most significant one for me is clarity. Uh, you have a, a propensity to be uh, to have oral clarity. I think that is that is unequaled. So, so how do you how do you as a you know student of preaching? We preachers are always looking for where the you know the wires are hidden and these type of things. Right, so, right. how do you do that? How do you become so clear? Well, you have to intend to be clear, and you have to give up the idea of being profound, and realize that simple is the most profound. The simplest things are the strongest. When my kids were little, they had uh, plastic balls and bats, and they had these robotronic things that had 15 parts. What broke the quickest? The stuff with the multiple parts. The ball and the bat, it's simple, but it's strong. Simple does not mean shallow. Simple does not mean superficial. Simple does not mean simplistic. Simple means clear. And Einstein once said, you can be brilliant, but if you can't explain it in simple ways, you don't really understand it. And so I work extremely hard at making it simple. When I wrote, for instance, Purpose Driven Life, I didn't write it. I rewrote it and 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 rewrote it. And each time I was saying, if there's a 15-word sentence, how can I say it in nine? And if there's a nine-word sentence, how can I say it in five? And if it's five-word sentence, how can I say it in four? And I, to make it as simple and succinct as possible, that's why when some people read the book, they're underlining almost every sentence because it's almost like a book of one-liners. It's, it's that, it's like distilled wisdom. One of the things that's good for pastors is to practice on Twitter because Twitter allows you 
only 146 characters. And if you write something out the first time, it's never going to be short enough. And if you look at how you can say that shorter and shorter and say it on Twitter, because that is actually a good practice tool for pastors because you'll get to the point much, much quicker. And people have such poor memories. The simplest is going to have the message of getting through. Today we're overwhelmed and in, in overwhelmed with advertising messages and stuff like that. So first thing you have to do is you have to work at making it simple. Second, not be afraid to be simple. I pastor in the second most educated congressional district in America. Number one is Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, actually, it's the third now. Number two is Stanford, around Stanford. And number three is the Saddleback Valley. More PhDs, more doctorates, more advanced degrees in my area than any other place. And yet the simpler I get, the more God blesses it. So by not being afraid to do that. Uh, the fear being from your peers, internal pressure, trying to sound like something. Exactly. There's a lot of pressure in, in preparing messages to sound like your model or to sound like your mentor or to sound like what somebody else wants to do. So how do you jettison that? Well, it's, you jettison with this, this little sentence. It's more important to be clear than cute. Sometimes I have had a, uh, had a sermon and everything started with a letter C except that last one, and then you spend three hours trying to find that fourth C. Okay, and, and you're going, it doesn't work, fine. Do you think the people really care if they're all C's? No, they don't. They, they don't. And, and so the issue is, what is the clearest, the simplest? Um, I actually keep word lists that I make. And I make them, I have a whole list of word lists of different verbs and single syllable verbs and things like that that I go on, so that I'll go down through that will help me find the simplest word. And then I go, okay, everybody's going to get that one. The reason Purpose Driven Life got translated in all those languages, 139 languages, is because it's easy to translate. It, 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 it doesn't use the big significant words. Now, look. I, I did my doctorate, and I can say Heilsgeschichte and sacerdotalism, but does anybody care? Right. You know, does anybody right. really care? Would, can you say uh, a minute's worth of information, encouragement to pastors on delivery? What's, what do you see out there that's missing in delivery? Exhort us on delivery. The most powerful way to say it is to say it personally. The more personal it is, the more powerful it is. I used to ask the question, I had a series of eight questions I asked about my own delivery. And one of them was, what's the most powerful way to say it? I don't say it anymore. I said, what's the most personal way? The more personal you get, the more powerful it becomes. Don't ever try to speak to the masses. Speak to the individual. And if you speak to the individual, you will get the masses. It's the exact opposite. We often try to speak to the masses. And when you do that, that becomes oratory. Oratory is restating in a dramatic way what everybody already agrees with. It's the kind of preaching we used to get at the convention where you say certain phrases, the blood, the book, and blessed hope, you get a shout from the crowd. But it doesn't change anybody. Everybody's already agreed with it. We already all agree with it. Okay. What, if I'm going to do it, I've got to get into your life. And the way I do that is by being personal. 
And the way I do it is not by shouting at you, but often, for instance, leaning into the microphone and talking softer. And when I talk softer, I'm actually bringing you close into me, and I'm, I'm making it more intimate and like that. Um, varying your delivery, uh, timber, pitch, things like that is very important. Learning the power of a dramatic pause. If ever you lose an audience, just stop speaking. All of a sudden, they wake up. What happened? What happened? Okay, did the rapture happen? Yeah. You know, because if, a lot of times, if you get at the same tone, people go, wah, 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 wah. It's the Charlie Brown syndrome. If you just hear this, and the guy's at the same, he hits that tone and he just stays in that tone. You have to learn how to go high and low. You have to go fast and slow, loud and soft, um, humor, and, and stick them with a knife. You know, it's, it's a combination. Variety is what keeps people's attention. Yeah. One historian describes Southern Baptist preaching as the greatest Southern Baptist preachers have been pastor evangelist. Yeah. He, this Hughes, Hughes Alth and Old, and he yeah. said that uh, George Truett was the archetype of that. Uh -huh. You would see yourself in that vein. Yeah, you? I would. Yeah. Um, hey, this has been fun. I feel like we're just getting started. Yeah, I we apologize. Are just getting, but, well, we could short, literally but, go for days on this one because I've read about it so much, I've thought about it so much, yeah. I've studied about it so much. Um, the biggest piece of advice is don't let anybody put you in a mold. You have, you have to be yourself. And when I look at the way Peter preaches and the way Paul preaches, and even Peter goes, Paul says some things that are a little hard for us to understand, yeah. okay? We're not all Pauls, okay? And I don't need to be that. And there, there, there's a guy out in Southern California who started a church, and it grew really good. And everybody who studied under him sounds just like him on the radio. Yeah. They even use the same inflection. They pronounce the words the same way. And I'm going, that is a waste of... of uh, of uh, personality because God made you to be you. Yeah. When God gets, you get to heaven, God is going to say, why didn't you preach more like Rick Warren? Yeah. Or why didn't you preach more like John MacArthur? Yeah. Or why didn't you preach more like name, name anybody? Yeah. Say, hey, look, I made you to be you. Yeah. So adequately deal with the text. But the most important thing of all in preaching, the most important thing of all, in my opinion, is love. You have to communicate love. People, guys tell me all the time when I, that I've trained, I just love to preach. I say, that doesn't impress me at all. You may just be a ham. You may just like the rush of adrenaline you get by being on the stage. You might like attention. I don't care if you love to preach. I want to know, do you love the people you preach to? If you do, it'll get through. And if you can't preach your way out of a baggie and you love them, you'll still change their lives. Yeah. It's part of the communication process. It's part of the communication yeah. process. Excellent. That's exactly right. Hey, thanks, Rick. This it's is the fun. Pathos. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Absolutely.